When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I am Ben Boland. Ben, today we've got a topic that we're going to cover that was a listener suggestion. It's about RC aircraft, and it comes from Brent G., and it was an email that was sent on the very last day of 2013. Oh, cool. On on New Year's Eve, I guess. Brent was thinking about uh, model aircraft. He was actually thinking about drones because his initial email was about our our Amazon drone podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then he included a, a PS message at the end of his note that actually sparked today's topic, and the note says, uh, P.S., how about a podcast about RC aircraft, pretty closely re- related to aviation drones after all, and there are some wonderfully extravagant examples over of truly over-the-top RC jets and helicopters. Just search it on YouTube. It'll blow your mind how complex some of them can be. And I did just that, and it did just that. It's a, it, Some of these are um, <laughs> amazing things. I mean, they get incredibly detailed in design and uh, the, the way that it you know the the flight controls. You know the way that they they're controlled from the ground. You know with the controllers and yeah, the, uh, the people that do these and put them together, um, and the the craft themselves. It's just it's a remarkable world, Ben. An incredible hobby. Yes, and the way that we like to start these sorts of things off, um, we have to do a couple of things. First, we need a disclaimer. Just to be fair, Scott. Oh yeah. Neither of us are. RC aircraft owners. Yeah, we're not a hobbyist in the, in that way. We don't. Oh wait, uh, wait, you have a little helicopter though. I ha- yeah, I do. I do have a uh, an indoor helicopter. I mean, I don't know if I would really call that um, an RC hobbyist in any way because it seems like those are and oh, we do want to talk about it too. But they're yeah. so accessible now to everybody, and I promise we'll get to that. But I have an indoor helicopter that's one of these real lightweight, um, almost like a styrofoam body type things. Um, it has a little plastic shell on it. It's really cool. It's fun to fly. Very easy to control, yeah. and that's that's part of a, a trend that we've seen in the last seven or eight years that we want to talk about. Um, and I have in my history, I've got a an experience with um, uh, one of these U control planes, like with you know the tethered that we'll talk about later yeah. as well. But that comes along with a um, a surprise that I want to say for the end of the podcast. Okay, good. It wouldn't be a car stuff show if we didn't have a surprise at the end. I don't think so. So. Uh, at the most basic level, we have a, a small flying machine, right, uh, that an operator controls on the ground using a handheld 
control that is also a radio transmitter. Transmitter, yeah, that's right. Oh, there's a receiver on board the craft, and uh, when the when it gets signals from the radio transmission, it moves what are called the control surfaces using a servo mechanism of some sort. Mm-hmm. That's the most basic level. All of the types of uh, RC aircraft that we are going to talk about today have that in common and sometimes very little else. Yeah, exactly. And uh, they, they're very, very diverse in, uh, in design and uh, what it takes to what it takes to get these things off the ground even yep. and uh, what it takes to keep them flying. They're, they're all very, very unique. And they're not just toys. Exactly. And but you know what? I do want to say, though, that mm-hmm. we, we are... Well, you know, you say they're not just toys, but they're model aircraft. They are kind of, they are toys, but to some people it's serious business. I understand that. But I do want to clarify that we're not talking about UAVs. Oh, and, yeah, uh, yeah. We're UAV- not talking about Predator drones. Yeah, UAVs and, you know, like full-size aircraft, you know, any, any type of full-size aircraft with no pilot, because there were those in the past, you know, that uh, some of the early experiments with these things were full-size aircraft that were launched from aircraft carriers. And they were, of course, unmanned aerial vehicles, that's what we're talking about. And mm. now they call them drones a lot of times with, you know, no human aboard. But we're talking about uh, model aircraft in this case, like the, yes. the hobbyist type thing. And when you say they're not toys, you're talking about some of the, the coolest ones of these things that we're, we're going to get to that are the giant scale oh, and the jets. Yes. And we will get to those. I okay. Okay. Understood. Also, I guess what I should have said is to is when I say that they're not just toys, what I mean is that there are applications that are not purely recreational. Absolutely. And that that we can get to as well. But first, let's talk about the history. Let's talk about how old these this, this idea actually is. Well, let's do it. How far do they go back, then? Dude, I know I rarely say dude like that on the podcast, <laughs> but but it it goes back to the 19th century. That's the the predecessors of these. The 19th century. Yeah, they had these. They had these air-filled, tiny airships that were guided electronically. Uh, they were flown around indoors in a in an auditorium. So these uh, these lighter than air craft, I guess, that are floating around yeah. inside. They're they're basically zeppelins. Pretty much that uh, that are controlled. Now I've seen these things that um, sometimes at sporting events they'll fly them overhead, yeah, and they'll have a servo mechanism that will drop coupons on the cloud on the crowd, yeah, you know, or, yeah. or a t-shirt or whatever they're able to carry. Um, but I haven't seen um, any of these things in museums or anything like you know the old ones. I wonder if they they held up or not. I, I mean maybe they didn't because. They're probably built of uh, flimsy materials to be lightweight enough. Right. They're probably not exactly, uh, you know, I have a hard time thinking they had steel frames. And and I would think that, you know, of course, these are filled with hydrogen <laughs> and they're spark controlled, right? The right. Spark yeah, yeah. That's I, a very good point. It's that, a spark emitted radio signal. Seems like a bad combination. True. There were some there were some kinks in the process. Um, we know that the Royal Aircraft Establishment in Britain built and tested uh, some pilotless a uh, craft like a monoplane with a hundred mile range. That's impressive. That's uh, that's got to be one of those full size craft, though. I would think. Yeah, that for a hundred mile range, that's uh, that's a little beyond modeling. I would think it is. Yeah. It is. That's a little dronish. But it leads into the, the history. That's good. Right. We're talking about just the technology. So sure. radio control systems for modern aircraft are really, really spiking in the forties and the fifties. Um, is that because they were able to scale down the technology? I imagine so, yeah. I would think so. I mean, if you're going to start out with something like this, I mean, you know, it's it's difficult enough to fly a plane. I mean, to, but to be able to put all that equipment onto a full-size plane and be able to fly it, I can understand they could do that because it can hold hundreds of pounds of weight, you know, if not a 1,000 pounds of weight. Right. To be able to scale it down to the model size, 
they had to work on that for, well, it turns out for decades in order, in order to scale it down to the size that they got to in the 1930s, 40s, 50s. Right, yeah, and we know in the U.S., uh, the RC craft have a, uh, a fairly long and storied history as mm-hmm. well. Um, two guys who were big leaders in this field were named Ross Hall and Clinton DeSoto, which is an awesome sounding name. Yeah. And, uh, that's, I like that's all I have to say about them. But, uh, they, they built and flew, uh, radio controlled gliders, uh, back in the late 30s. Ah, gliders. Those mm-hmm. are interesting. Yes, There's gliders that. are interesting. They're yeah. one of the most simple kinds of radio control craft. You can That's make. often the kind that you'll see out in parks and, and, uh, you know, schoolyards and things like that. A lot of people fly gliders. And uh, there's a little more to those than just to what you would think, really. I mean, some are pro- right. uh, have propulsion methods. Some of them you launch from, you know, uh, you throw them. Yeah. Others, uh, you know, you, you um, I don't know what are the other other ways to take off of these things. I, I mean, there's there's different methods of these things. They they catch thermals and they they're able to ride the thermals and, and climb and soar. And I mean, they're just an interesting they're an interesting type of plane that we'll talk about later. Well, yeah, you know what? Let's talk about types of gliders because I'm oh. pretty much – I just wanted to give us some historical background because we know that now this is an industry that brings hundreds of thousands of people yeah. together. Yeah, I mean, we, we, how about we get to it in just a second here? But um, I want to say that in 1937, I think – did you already yeah. mention the 37 date? Because uh, 37, I think, was right around when the American Radio League – uh, they had kind of developed maybe the, I guess, the modern way to really control or radio control oh, right. these yeah, large yeah. gliders. So I, I don't know if the 37 got through or not. I'm not we sure. Did, yeah, that that's when um, Hull and DeSoto, okay. who were working for the Radio Relay League, did this stuff. But there's another big thing that happened in 1937 that we need to mention, the National Aero Modeling Championship. Exactly. And that one had six people. Just that, six. Yeah, six people that entered. And, you know, there's a list of people that, that entered. And uh, one guy won with uh, the lightest plane who was, was like six pounds or something like that. I yeah. Mean, it was uh, it's a pretty heavy plane. Now it is. Yeah, Yeah, now it would be. Um, But I mean, flights were only like seven, you know, six, seven minutes long at the most. Some were just a few seconds. Some didn't even get off the ground. Right. Um, It was so, it was just in its early days, its infancy, really. But 1937 is really when, I guess, the modern radio controlled model airplane is when we really see that kind of uh, being birthed, I guess. Yes. And we see now that, as we said, this has this industry has grown and there are multiple different types of radio controlled craft. Mm-hmm. We mentioned gliders. So let's, let's talk about gliders now. Okay. At, at, at the most basic level, a glider is a plane that doesn't have propulsion. Sometimes. Sometimes. I, I, that's <laughs> what I said at the most basic level. You're right. Um, I'm, I know I'm being a little bit, uh, legalistic here. Well, I'm getting you tied up in the semantics, Ben. I didn't mean to do that because you're right. A glider is something that just soars on on thermal uh, updrafts and um, you right. know it relies mostly on its control surfaces in order for it to climb and soar and turn and you know it just it's it's not one that is using a propeller to drag it through the air really. Perfect. Yeah. And in, in layman's terms. In layman's terms, in the world of radio controlled craft, uh, you can have a couple different kinds of gliders. You can have a glider that, as you said, needs a sloping start. So you're at a, you know, you're at a hill in your local park and you throw it off from that high vantage point and then you can help steer it as it glides the valley. Ah, very nice. And then of very course there's picturesque. There are the other, yeah. And there are other, well, I was doing that hand motion. <laughs> that helped. Thanks, man. And there's the other, there's the other kind we're talking about, which is able to 
launch itself, for yes. lack of a better phrase. And that is one of the big uh, divisions between these. Um, you'll hear the unpowered ones called thermal soarers mm-hmm. or slope gliders. Okay. And then the powered ones you talk about, they use, they use the propulsion just to get up to altitude, and then they cut the power and soar down, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. And uh, that's I, – I know that that is by far one of the most common methods mm-hmm. that people use – with that because you don't want to – first off, if it's a glider, you don't really need that power once you're up there mm-hmm. if you can just glide on the wind. You know what I'd like to see, Ben? I'd like what? to see a glider that actually launched like a real glider does where another plane tows it you know, through the – Oh, like, yeah. Through, that'd be really cool. That'd be cool. You know, if you've watched a, a glider take off, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it, uh, Cessna or whatever, I'm, I don't even know the type of plane, but, you know, another plane drags it up to altitude and then they just cut the cord and it yes. soars down. Very I would cool. Love to see that, too. that would be really neat. I mean, I bet it's. I would be willing to bet that someone has attempted this. If if not, it's already. If it hasn't already been done. Someone's already done it. I'm sure. Probably. Now uh, there are seven types. So yeah. we've talked about gliders, and that's one. There's just yeah. sailplanes and gliders. Mm-hmm. And do you want to kind of laundry list the last? Yeah, few? yeah. Go for it. All right. So there's also um, just what you call radio control scale aircraft modeling, which you know includes things like park flyers and the electric RC planes that we often see. Yeah. Uh, the ones that you know people fly at the at the schoolyard. You know, you may yeah. see them just hanging hanging out on a Saturday or something playing with these things. Um, but they're, you know, fixed wing or, uh, you know, they could be single, multi-engine aircraft. They can, um, you know, we're talking about like the heavier than aircraft, um, not the, not the blimps, not the sailplanes, not things sure. like that. But, yeah. uh, these are the ones that have, um, you know, the rotary engine out at the front and the mm-hmm. typical design. They may look like a plane that you're, you're comfortable seeing at the small local airport. Right. Or they, they may be the, a lot of these, are the ones that you might see modeled after historical planes too, right? Like exactly. a Spitfire or yeah, something. Yeah, there's those two. And I'm going to skip over the next one because I want to come to that one last oh, because I know that's the, uh, the high yeah. dollar one that we yeah. talk about. Uh, there's also pylon racers, which uh, sound, do just exactly what they say. They're very fast, though. They travel something like 150 miles per hour. Uh, but they go around the, a pylon track, almost like, um, isn't there a Red Bull competition that's a pylon race? Right, where yeah. human, humans race these things, of course. Yes. Very fast, very exciting. It's the same type of thing, only with RC aircraft. There's also helicopters. Um, and there's, well, you know what? I've heard about helicopters. These are the hardest ones to control. Now, I, I know that when you think about the kind like I have, the indoor helicopter. Yeah. That's very simple. They give you very few controls. There's very few control surfaces, and it's Ooh. really easy to do. But a true RC helicopter, like the old-style one with a gas engine and uh, the gas turbine engine yeah. and all the controls, you know, that, that we'll see on the, the modern controller, you know, with like 10 or 12 switches and right. three knobs and the four dials. The handheld cockpit, Exactly, yeah. From what I've heard, those are so complex to fly that you need to have instructors help you, you know, beforehand, before you even attempt to fly these things. They have to come over and give you guidance on, you know, exactly how this works and what yeah. you know, you're going to watch them fly for a Pitch, while before yaw, you do it. And yeah. All they, of that stuff. One, uh, one thing we should also mention about yes. those helicopters is that there are multiple types of helicopters. There are quadcopters. There are even octocopters. Mm-hmm. Um, now the one you have, I think is single rotor, right? It is. Okay. Yes. Um, that's the one I would deal with. I, I was thinking about this when we were looking into RC aircraft as a topic. You know, for a while I was nuts about that video game, Grand Theft Auto V. Sure, yeah. Um, so, so nuts, in fact. Listeners who are familiar with this, uh, write in and let us know if you want us to do a show on the cars of Grand Theft Auto V. Cause I have, I have, um, I've been in the doghouse with my girlfriend for, uh, for playing that game and just stealing vehicles. Mm. Cause the game is all about, uh, a majority of it is about 
racing, car theft. I mean, it's the name of the game for Pete's sake. Sure. Uh, but it's encouraged. One, one thing I noticed when I was, I was thinking about our aircraft episode is that there are, there are parts in the game wherein you're required to fly a helicopter. And it is by far my worst skill at this video game. And it got me thinking, you know, I've got this little video game controller and I'm barely able to handle all of the buttons, um, with, with precision. Sure. You know, I can get there, but I stink at it. Yeah. And I, and then, you know, I'm looking at the, uh, the videos and the, um, controller schematics for an actual RC helicopter. Not even a quad, mm-hmm. just a single rotor. And I'm thinking, how would I get this anywhere without wrecking it? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at a picture right now of a of a modern RC aircraft controller. Oh, yeah. And the stuff that's involved, I mean, there must be 12 switches on it and a couple of sticks. And there's, a, there's an LCD disc, uh, screen for uh, battery charging. And, you know, it shows the fuel levels. Uh, there's things like rudder trim and, and, uh, throttle trim and elevator yep, trim yep. and airline trim. It's just, there's so much involved in this. I mean, it's really complex and we'll have no time really to get into the, the specifics of all that. Not yet. But I, I think you're right. I think that the helicopter is probably one of the most complex, um, RC craft to try to fly in, you know, it's, uh, in a, I guess it's original form. Not, right. the, not the type that we're talking about now, which we're going to get to in just a second. Yeah. Um, because the next one is, um, uh, flying bird models or ornithopters, which yep. these are bizarre to watch. These are, I think, the most complex to watch in action mm-hmm. because they fly the way that birds fly, yeah. by flapping wings. Yeah, they flap their wings and fly. They don't look like they should be able to fly. They're odd. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm still weirded out by it. Yeah, they're very strange. If you've never seen an ornithopter fly or these flying bird models, check it out. It's really strange, really bizarre to watch, and and you really it's you have a hard time understanding how these things stay up in the air. Honestly, yeah. Uh, the the uh, the second to last thing I want to mention here on the, on the types of of craft are the toy class. And this is what we were hinting at with the helicopter, that, you know, the, the toy class helicopter, very easy to control. Way more accessible for beginners. Absolutely. And, the, and it's the newest class as well. It's um, from around the mid-2000s, so 2004, 2005. Something like that, yeah. So in the last seven or eight years, yeah. maybe, um, they've become very, very affordable. But these are the indoor-type copters and the indoor, right. I'm sorry, indoor-outdoor airplanes that they call jets sometimes, which are really uh, ducted fans. Yeah, but um, they often have even the ones that they call jets. Sometimes, you know what the good example of this is the Air Hog brand. Uh-huh. Uh, if you go to any toy store and you look for the Air Hogs section of the shelf, you know, like um, um, you know, Toys R Us or whatever, and you could say, "Ask for the Air Hogs," they will show you a section of Air Hog devices or, or um, um, helicopters, jets, planes. Uh, mm. You know, these uh, um, the quadcopters, like we mentioned. Yep. Of course, they have other vehicles as well. You know, like uh, terrain vehicles, like sure. cars and trucks and yeah. things. But um, the air hogs, uh, or do they? Maybe, maybe they don't. Maybe well, they're, I think they occupy the same sort of niche yeah. when you're, when you're talking about toy class, because the, the appeal of toy class is the following. Simple to learn, especially in comparison, right? Very. Yes. Uh, simple to maintain, for lack of a better word. That's They don't good. need as much TLC. And, uh, one of the most important parts, um, well, they're also very durable, a lot, oh. much more so than a lot of the higher end. Almost, and they, call, they go to, so far as to call them almost indestructible. I mean, you can have a, a crash without consequences is the best way to say it, really. Right, and, and you're going to crash a lot when you're learning to use these. You really are, and that's the thing. You know, like If you're going to spend $500 on a uh, model Cessna plane with a, with a radio controller and the whole outfit, you know, it's uh, pretty expensive you know, for to yeah. begin with, and you're not really sure about it, you know, this is kind of an... Easy way just to get the feel of like, do I like doing this at all? You know, you can take it out on a weekend and just kind of have fun with it at the park. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's not even close to the same type of feeling as, dry, as flying one of the bigger planes, you know, that are three or four feet long or whatever. But um, if you're if you're just kind of uh, kind of fifty fifty about it, yeah, you're yeah. dabbling in the hobby. That's a good way to say it, Ben. You're dabbling in the hobby. This is a good way to get in and decide if you like it or not. And you know, the to the toy RC class, I mean. The range is like, you know, from $20 to, let's say, at the max, like maybe $80 at the right, most. yeah. And uh, it's just a, a lot of good fun, really. I mean, they're, they're a lot of fun. I don't see any reason not to do it. And there's a uh, one one other neat thing here that might be kind of a segue for us is that you can fly a toy class RC with no licensing. That's exactly right, yeah. <laughs> but 
if you want to uh, talk about licensing. Now, a lot of people are thinking, what licensing? What? What, would you, what, would what you do you mean? mean? Yeah, you're just standing on the ground, right? Well, right. if you're going to fly the last type of, uh, of type of plane that we're going to talk about, which are the jets, and I think a lot of people are interested in the jets because yep. uh, these tend to be very expensive, mm-hmm. and they use like uh, micro-turbine ducted fan type uh, type things to work, but they also use these gas-powered turbine jets, right? right? Yep. Um Often constructed of things like carbon fiber and, and Kevlar and some exotic mm-hmm. materials, right? Mm-hmm. Very, very expensive, but you do have to have proper certification to fly these things. Yes. Uh, in the States, for example, the Federal Aviation Administration, or FAA, regulates all of these aircraft and you can only you can only fly these aircraft legally if you have been certified by the Academy of Model Aeronautics. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so you have to learn how how the gas turbine or which type of turbine you have operates, uh, all aspects of safety, and how to handle the possible things that can spring up. Now, you can get a turbine aircraft, you know, we'll call them jets for this purpose. You can get a jet for as low as maybe 200 bucks. I'll call 200 but they that is the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. That is go, the Geo Metro. They of, only go up from there. Yeah. Up to like I mean we're going to say like $10,000, yes, $20,000. Yeah. Can you imagine flying a model aircraft that's worth $20,000 as long as I don't have to wreck it? It gets intense. Now, you know, we talked about uh, I, I just want to get to that in just a second, yeah. but but you talked about, you know, you, you can only fly these aircraft at, at approved AMA sites also. Yep. So you have to be certified through the AMA. You can only fly them at approved certified sites. So you can't just take this out to the, the local schoolyard and fly them. Right. You can't go to the local park and fly it. Mm-hmm. You, you can't have to, go in your backyard. No, no. These are, these are events that you have to show up for in order to fly them because they're, they're very, very heavily regulated because they're, they are very dangerous because you also have to cover, you also have to prove that you have insurance on them as well. So you have to yeah. be certified, you have to be approved, you have to fly them at certain sites, you have to have insurance, and the insurance covers things like accidental death and dismemberment because mm-hmm. they're ridiculously fast and powerful. Right. They also cover things like fire damage, property damage, because when they crash, they explode into a ball of flames, and if you crashed into, say, the neighbor's barn mm-hmm. and it burned up or house, I mean, it's going up in flames. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's a total loss when a, when a jet crashes typically. Usually it just shreds itself into nothing. Yeah, the, especially that class. That's Again, that's why people are recommended to try the toy class if you want to see if you're interested. Exactly. But you know what? There are other times, I guess, when you can have like a little accident when you're taking off or landing where you know, it may just skid off the track and you lose your landing gear or something like that. Because these things have landing gear that retracts and, and yeah. you know, it, it extends. And uh, sometimes there's problems with that, and you know I understand that things happen like that, and sometimes it's not always a complete loss, but oftentimes it is. And the the uh, the other thing is that these guys, when they fly them, if you watched uh, oh, any of the videos, man. yeah, I'm glad you're bringing now, this up. These are big planes. I mean, they're probably six, seven, eight feet long, maybe some of them, you know, right. even bigger than that in some cases when we get to the giant scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these scale jets, uh, when they're flying them, it's such a, a, a an accomplishment to get them off the ground and to land them, especially land them. Yes. Um, that the crowd applauds and the owner, the person who's flying them, usually collapses into a heap on the ground, kind of relieved, like it's all over. I'm going to have a beer now. Yeah. Didn't you tell me about watching? Um, it was a jet land, 
And when yeah. when they landed, the the crowd went wild. This is a YouTube clip. Yeah. And the guy did fall over and was just sort of staring up yeah. at the sky. He cut back, and I think it was his first flight, his maiden flight. So he was unsure about you know controlling this thing, and it was a jet that's about eight feet long, and it's really beautiful, right? Wow. And flying it, of course, has got to be stressful. You know that you may end your whole career right here. You know mm. your flying career. And uh, so he he you know once he got it back on the ground, he did. He was like just. Fell down to his knees and then onto his back, and that was it. He stayed there for a good minute, you know, just uh, celebrating the fact that it was on the ground and he had done it successfully. Oh, uh, speaking of celebration, this is a bit of a sidebar here. What's that? If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go back to, uh, let's see, we've talked about jets and how difficult it is to actually control a jet. Mm-hmm. That's that's what gets me. I, you know, when I first heard this, I thought, um, okay, we'll do this. We'll do this podcast on a relatively innocuous or simple thing, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, oh, how wrong I was. This is serious. And it get, uh, one of the, one of the most important decisions you will make if you get started in RC aircraft is what type of kit to buy. That's right, Ben. Yeah. There's a, there's a varying 
Um, well, there's a big, huge array of kits that you could buy. Um, there's, I guess, maybe five different types in, in bigger categories, and then you can subdivide that however you want. Okay, but, yeah. Um, they come in, like, ready-to-fly kits. That's the first type, the most basic, I Out guess. Out-the-box kit. That's yeah, pretty much. I mean, you have to usually have to attach the wings because, you know, the wingspan is pretty large just for packaging's sake. They don't put them on. Uh, but really, there may be some basic, basic assembly, and that's it with those. They're pretty much ready-to-fly, as the name states. Uh, then there's the almost ready to fly, which, um, that, you know, that almost sounds like the kind that we just talked about where you'd have to put the wings on, right? But there's more assembly, right? A little more assembly. Yeah, they may require as much as four hours of work in order to put them together. So it's a little more complex than you might think, uh, when they say it's almost ready to fly. But these, um, what they call AR, um, ARF kits or ARTF kits, almost ready to fly. <laughs> um, so four hours is about what you're looking at for something like that. Then there's another one called the Bind and Fly, and the Bind and Fly. This is maybe the one for the uh, for the RC Bargain Hunter, right? Okay. What's yeah, a Bind and Fly? The Bind and Fly is the kind where you bind your controller to another aircraft that you uh, just purchased. Okay. Yeah. So it saves you a little bit of cash, right? Yeah, because the controllers can be expensive, but one advantage the controllers have is that if you are comfortable with your controller that you've invested time in learning, you can bind it to multiple craft and lots of money because these controllers now if you're going to buy a Ooh. controller for every plane you have no don't it could get very very expensive so it becomes a lot more economical for you to keep that one you know kind of uh, the big daddy controller i guess mm-hmm. and bring in other aircraft and be able to bind them to that that controller so um that's a huge benefit i think and yeah. the next one would be balsa uh balsa kits which um you know these are the ones that come assembled are unassembled rather almost like you'd find a, a model car kit Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they would be in sheets and you would have to snap out the pieces or they yeah. would come already pre-cut, I guess, and you just have to assemble them. But, and I say it just assemble them, but that's a difficult thing, Ben, uh, because they come in die cut or they come in laser cut, which, you know, laser cut are very, very precise, very, right. a lot more expensive. The die cut are a little bit less expensive, but not quite as precise as the, uh, the laser cut, uh, the but, balsa But kits. one, one of the problems with these kits or one of the challenges is that if you make a mistake early on in the assembly, it's just going to, uh, the, the problem is just going to grow and expand as you keep building on that original mistake. Sure, it becomes an exponential problem at that point. It just gets, yeah. uh, you're, you're building on a mistake that, uh, that adds to other mistakes. So I understand what you're saying. Um, you know, these are completely unassembled planes when you, re- you know, receive them. They're in a small box. Um, very, very difficult, but it's not the, not the most difficult, Ben, because the most difficult are the kinds that are built from scratch. Oh, and man. uh this with every, or from plans you know from plans i guess you know that you know somebody could you know you could buy plans online yep. and you could buy plans from a friend or you can go to a hobby shop and get somebody that you know that is a uh, the local expert or whatever and can build a plane for you or could show you the 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 uh the plans for a plane oh and by the way there probably is one in your town there probably is yeah there are hobby shops everywhere that sell these things but uh these are the most difficult ones to build and of course anything that you're building from scratch is really tough you have to have a deep deep understanding of what it takes to get that craft in the air yep. in order for it to work. Because you can put something together quickly. Like we've seen planes that are made out of, you know, the cardboard from a pizza box that someone has, you know, taped servos to and a propeller and made it work. Because they know the physics of flight. They do. And they know exactly what surfaces and what dimensions they need to make in order to make it work. It, it works. It doesn't work well, but they can fly it around their yard or inside the house or whatever, and it's fine. But if you're talking about building a plane that you want to take out to shows and you want it to be authentic and you want it to be to scale and you want it to be uh, rigid enough to withstand 
um, you know, any type of uh, high wind conditions sure. or you know, uh, inclement weather, a rough landing. Exactly, the rough landing is a big one. Yeah. It's got to be, it's got to be durable. But you know, some people go overboard on things, and I understand that you know people get to the point where like, well, I've enjoyed flying these for thirty years. I think maybe I'll try to build my own plane at this point, and they want to build like a large scale plane or something. Yeah, this is something that could occupy a lot of time. Oh, it is a rabbit hole. It yes, is. sir. We we should talk though about the materials because to me, you know, you and I have over time become armchair material enthusiasts. You <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? I think so, yeah. Because we we always talk about how how important material engineering is for uh the automotive world. Sure. And we've talked a little bit about it when we talk about um watercraft and when we talk about uh aircraft that would transport humans uh, anything trains planes automobiles all of it it's, uh, <laughs> really honestly uh, materials are very important and often overlooked by people who are just you know just buying a car or i guess someone who just buys a plane i would like to think they think sure. a little more well, the casual hobbyist i guess casual hobbyist is great so wood works fantastically uh there are quite a few i mean despite it's number one and number two disadvantages. One, easily broken. Two, so flammable. Yeah, very flammable, and you'll see that comes into play often, which is, uh, that's sad. I mean, but when you see some of these crashes, uh, you'll, you'll see what we're talking about. Right. And so now, uh, a lot of, a lot of things would be balsa wo- wooden models have a coating of some sort of lacquer to, uh, help retard the flame, mm-hmm. um, and to make them a little bit more durable. Uh, we mentioned carbon fiber already um and kevlar and kevlar both of which are both of which are streets ahead of wooden material but they cost way more yeah. you pay for what you get and you're going to find those in those 10 and twenty thousand dollar jets yeah. that we talked about that's mm-hmm. that's right so there's other ones too there's fiberglass which has been around a long long time and that's one that modelers love because they can form that over a uh, a mold in their own shop or, you know, whatever, wherever they're putting this thing together. Right. Um, very easy material to work with, relatively easy to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also, I mean, if you want to get down to it, there, you know, you mentioned plastics and resins, but, um, there's also styrofoam. I mean, yeah. It, yeah. there's a lot of styrofoam models out there. And I know that, you know, the, the extreme hobbyists will think, well, we're not going to fly anything out of styrofoam, but, you know, that's kind of what made the, um, the toy class possible, really. Right, because it takes it takes so much abuse so easily. Yeah, and some of the plastics and resins to to some point. I mean, the one that I have now, the helicopter I have now, is like, uh, I think it's it's styrofoam with a plastic, uh, some type of resin cover over it. So it's mm-hmm. even more durable than just a styrofoam one would be. It wouldn't fall apart, you know. Yeah, and uh, let's see, that's... Crashes without consequences. That's Crashes what I'm, without consequences. I'm, I'm always looking for that. <laughs> yeah, classic Scott. Huh? Yeah, well, that's that's what you need when you're when you're learning, and and definitely, um, you know, just being that the toy class is out there is really helpful to a lot of people, including me, because I've always had an interest in it. I, I you know, a long time ago, Ben, I had a um, I had a U control plane, uh, which was and I mentioned it at the head of yeah, the podcast. Yeah, it was yeah. a uh, a tether plane basically, and it was a a Cox PT19 flight trainer. And it was blue and yellow. I think you can if you search online for that that term for Cox PT19 flight trainer, you'll see it. And again, the U control thing. It had um, a handle and two strings that were like 30 feet long, maybe you know, like nylon cord, almost like like kite string. And the idea was you were going to stand in the center of, let's say, you're on a baseball diamond. You'd stand on the pitcher's mound, and you could walk in a circle with it, and it would eventually get up enough speed to take off. You know, it had a prop yeah. at the front, a gas-powered prop. You'd, you'd use uh, Cox fuel and this little Cox engine, and it would uh, it would take off. 
and you'd be able to fly it in a circle as you walk around with it, kind of like you would a tether car. That's only cool. you're standing in the middle holding the the, uh, yeah. the strings. Well, you know, most of them, I think, and, and was the fate of mine. Uh, flew one time, went straight up, straight down, destroyed itself into the into the dirt. <laughs> oh man! And uh, I kept the engine for a while, and I used to play around with it. I'd start the engine up all the time, but it, you know, it yeah. had no body left to it really. It had a design that was supposed to allow the wings to pop off if there was never an accident, but mine, I think it shattered the plastic. It oh, wow. Like pretty severe crash. How fast were you going? Well, I don't remember. You were I was, slinging that I was thing. pretty young. It was like the mid-70s, and I uh-huh. think a lot of kids had these toys because it was still a huge hobby at the time. Even And now it's a big hobby. It's still a growing hobby, believe uh-huh. it or not. I mean, I think the Air Hogs and the Toy RC class has brought it back. Right, um, yeah. But there's still a lot of hobbyists out there who are more serious, who spend, you know, Let's say in the neighborhood of several hundred to, you know, a couple thousand dollars, you know, mid-range, I guess. Sure. Um, for a nice big plane and they, they really enjoy it. And I think there's a growing group of people that are still doing that. Absolutely. The, I can't agree with you more about the accessibility Mm -hmm. of the toy class Mm -hmm. and how it's, how it's changed everything in, in this regard. There are, before we get to the one more thing that we need to talk about, I do want to say that we're not going to be able to go into too many of the too many of the controls unfortunately and we're probably not going to be able to go into some stuff as much in depth as as we would like to now you know that's uh, that's better off that way anyways because i think that some of that stuff you get lost in it i mean we sure it's fun to talk about the different types and the the kits and things like that yeah. but when you start talking about the controls and what they control you almost have to see an image of that to understand all right, this is uh, this is the control surface that this servo activates, and mm-hmm. here's how it works. And you can you can there's lots of videos online. In fact, there's a uh, a site that I would like to point people to if that's all right. Ben. Yeah, that'd be perfect. Um, there is a site, and I, I'm digging through my notes, and I'll find it. I promise. Oh, I did. Um, oh, you know, I got it right here. Sorry. Okay. Just in the nick of time. <laughs> it's uh, it's called rcplanesforbeginners.net. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw this one. How about that for an easy... rcplanesforbeginners.net. And it really has the basics for any novice flyer, any RC novice flyer. Um, It'll tell you all about the controls and the radio and the electronics, um, a full glossary of terms, how the plane actually flies, like the fundamentals of flight. Um, It'll tell you all the parts of an RC plane, and it'll give you a little bit of aviation history as well. Yeah, and uh, that's where you can find some breakdown on the difference between low, mid, or high wing planes. Exactly. And while I'm thinking about it, yeah, yeah, I know you're you're off on something. What were you talking about just a moment ago? Uh, The one thing I did want to talk about were were, uh, the frequencies used. Okay. But that's it. All right. And then I have, uh, I guess I have two more things that I want to talk about. Do you want to go first? No, no, go ahead. Okay, well... Uh, so, of course, these are radio-controlled. One of the questions that I had immediately when we were first starting to dig into this is, you know, well, what what's the frequency? What What's going on here, right? Yeah, what's the frequency, Keith? Yeah. <laughs> An REM long, joke, huh? It's been a long time since anyone said, what's the frequency, Kenneth, to me. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So, uh, usually, um, in the United States, we're looking at a 72 megahertz frequency band. Uh, so the transmitter radio is, can use AM or FM, um, and the frequencies themselves you can you can see some list about which bands are uh, reserved for these kind of RC aircraft, mm-hmm. um, and it does change from region to region or continent mm-hmm. to country. Um, and then I'm squeezing this in uh, as we end up before we go to your two things. Um, Radio-controlled aircraft, we we do know there's association with drones. We have a different podcast about drones. But we do also know that these things are 
present a wonderful opportunity for scientists and for academic researchers to investigate um, parts of the atmosphere that would ordinarily be inaccessible or to experiment with uh, the camera observation or even just to test um, some theories about aerodynamic engineering. So these aren't just like these aren't just um, expensive hobbies. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you are a bit of a renaissance person, you want to conduct some experiments, then uh, it might be worth your time to uh, get a plane and test it out. Now, a lot of people are doing that, too. We see a lot of people putting uh, the GoPro cameras on them. Yep. And there's some amazing footage that comes out of these things. And those are mostly just for fun. Right. But as you say, you could actually do some serious experimentation with these things. I mean, there's a, there's a lot to be learned there. And that is that is what I have on on the basics of this. All right, my uh, my kind of small thing that I wanted to mention here, and I just I feel like I need to put this in here somewhere. Okay, there's a group of people out there that are taking those you know twenty and thirty dollar Airhog type uh, you know styrofoam planes, and they're modifying them because there's oh, there's a little bit of problem right. with them flying. I mean they they have no elevator. Yeah, they, they do this kind of like a, uh, I'm going to say a porpoising type action where they go up and down and up and down yep. and they waver, you know, when you've got a steady hand on the control for throttle, supposedly. Yep. Um, there's a group of people that kind of mess around with these things and they'll post videos and they'll post comments on blog sites and things like that. And, and I'm finding some interesting things. And I might, I can't tell you anything in particular because you have to see it to, to understand it. But like I saw one guy who, um, had adjusted the canards. The canards are like the two little tiny winglets at the very front of a delta wing configuration plane. Yeah. And he had removed those. He cut them right off. It sounds kind of scary when you've got a plane and you take them right sure. off. But it was doing this porpoising thing. He had cut them off and he adjusted them and glued them back in, back in place with a different um, attitude. I don't know if it was, uh, you know, pr- provided more elevator or less elevator um, on the front. Uh-huh. Um, I think it was providing too much up elevator, so he cut them off and adjusted them so that they provided more down elevator. And what it did was it it completely straightened out the flight in this in this plane. It was remarkable. And you showed you see before and you see the after, and it's just a much smoother, much much easier operating plane. But you know you get somebody who really knows what they're doing in the in the modeling world, like you know yeah. how things should look really. And you know the Airhog, I guess brand or, or franchise, I guess makes things for everybody. You know, it's it's able to work. You can just take it out of the box and fly it. But these guys know how to adjust things and, and tweak it a little bit yeah. so that you know it becomes a, a much more refined tool. I guess it's so interesting that you say that, Scott, because you know those toy class RCs are purposefully built with high drag in some situations. Yes, yes. So they don't get uh, quite as fast as they could be. Nice. Hacking. Um, yeah. It's, I'm uh, all about that. He is. I mean, someone someone hacked the air hogs, and it's not just one person. I mean, a lot of people have talked about doing little things here and there that make a big difference in those. And if you search for that type of stuff, you could have a real bargain. I mean, you go out and buy a $25, you know, little tiny um, toy class RC, you could have a blast with that thing. You could yeah. make it. You could really refine it and make it faster and more agile than it ever was out of the box. All right, Scott, let's tell them about Disneyland. <laughs> Who said that? That's brilliant. I will tell them about Disneyland. Okay. Thank you. It was so fast. Yeah, I know. He interrupted me. That's oh, what I was going to say. Oh, were you? Well, why don't you say it now? Oh, man. It's not the same, but I'll do my best. Okay. Uh, what we should have done instead, just so, just to tell that leprechaun wherever he ran, is to, is to ask, not about Disneyland, but maybe to ask, hey, what, what what the heck is this uh, final surprise you have for What's us? What's the tie-in? Why the tie-in? why would we ever want to talk about Disneyland? We have an yeah, RC why? aircraft. Well, because this is a strange thing that I don't think a lot of people know about, Ben. And I, I hope that people will search this out because you can find some really cool photos of this happening. 
1958 all the way through 1965 at Disneyland's Tomorrowland. This is in the one in California. Oh, yeah, yeah. They had something that was called the Flight Circle in Disneyland. And what? what they would do is they would have um, Cox employees. That's, you know, the, 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 I guess the new industry at the time, which was, you know, producing these little tiny aircraft engines. I mentioned that before. Um, what was the guy's name? Leroy Cox, I think was the founder mm-hmm. of, of Cox Industries. And he's the one who built that, um, that flight trainer that I had. Um, or at least that company built that flight trainer. Um, mm. they would have Cox employees give hourly flight demonstrations in the flight circle at Disneyland from 1958 to 1965. So and, like with a Cox P19 or, or excuse well, me, PT19? Well, with that, and I don't know if it was that one in particular because that was in the 1970s oh, yeah. when, I, when I had that. I don't know how long ago that plane goes back, but they That's had, cool. but they had U control and it wasn't real true radio control. It was the, uh, U control planes like with the tether, like what I yeah. had. And the, the ground had a big compass. It's a big circular area. It had a compass on the ground and the, the controller, the employee would stand in the center and fly these, you know, as a flight demonstration. They would sometimes bring people in from out of the, out of audience. Oh wow. Okay. And they had a huge chain link fence that went around it. Like, um, you'd find it a ball field almost, like a backstop. Um, that height and that kind of angle, it had kind of a, an overhang so that the planes didn't, you know, come untethered and go into the crowd. I oh, guess. right. Yeah. But, uh, not that, I don't know if that ever happened, but, um, they would fly in these circles and they would sometimes bring people out from out of the audience and allow them to do it to just see how easy it was. And of course that gets people hooked. You know, they're excited about it. And they also had in that same circle, they had, um, a small pond that they would run remote control boats in as well. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So they had some really interesting stuff going on. And all you have to do is search Disneyland flight circle and you'll find all these different photos of, of historic Disneyland in the 1950s, 1960s, mm-hmm. and people watching these Cox employees fly these U-Control planes. I wish it was still open. I do, too. Oh, they don't what? do anything like that anymore. They don't bring in outside companies to Disney. It's all, yeah. everything's Disney in Disney. I wonder if it's, yeah, it's probably a profit margin thing, but maybe. I, I don't know, a liability thing. Uh, maybe liability, Ben, because I, I, I'm thinking like, have I ever seen anything like that today in an amusement park? Nope. And, and nothing like that. I mean, sort of similar. You know, I mean, you, you'd mentioned that you like uh, driving the remote control boats at, at a local theme park. Yep, right? yep. Uh, right. Good memory, Scott. Um, so I spent a lot of formative years in Nashville, and when I was a wee young tyke in Nashville, my parents and I would go to Opryland occasionally. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things there is that they had these RC boats. Uh, but those are a thing of a past now. now. Are these the coin-operated ones you put in 50 cents and you could drive it for two minutes and then yeah. it would just kind of float out there until yep. you know some other kid else. picks up yep. the controls? Yep. Yeah, I remember those too. Those were cool. Those were neat, and they never seemed to last long enough for a proper naval adventure. No. Uh, or I should say marine adventure, rather. Yeah, they were always a rook. They were such a rook, and I'm, wow, you got me angry about mm. this. I'm still a little irritated about it, but... <laughs> Um, I think we both found that there is way uh, there's way more skill and technique in RC aircraft than the average person considers. Yeah, you know, all it takes is just ten minutes on YouTube or a site similar to that, and you can see that there's a lot of skill involved in this. And the people that really do this, you know, outside of the toy class, of course, mm. the people that are really into the hobby, they're the ones who are are, are very very skilled. They, they spend a lot of time. Um, you know, mastering the controls and mastering the, the, the craft that they have. They understand what it takes to, uh, to keep it flying, to maintain these things has got to be expensive as well. Um, yeah. they understand, you know, that 
the dangers involved with it as well. So they know all the safety precautions that they have to take. They know the licensing that they require for the jets and things like that. They, they know all the ins and outs of the hobby. We don't quite know everything about this, obviously. Uh-huh. We're just trying to get the idea out there that, you know, RC aircraft are really cool things. And, you know, you can see some amazing displays of, of professionals doing what they do best if you just search anywhere online. What a great way to segue to our listener mail. Very good. That segue, by the way, was uh, professionals doing amazing jobs. Uh, so Tim wrote to us uh, from California, Tim in California, okay. and he said, Hi, Ben and Scott, just listened to your podcast about getting your car commandeered. You also asked if anyone has had a boat commandeered. Hmm. Remember that? I do. So Tim says, I work as a volunteer crew member on a law enforcement boat and have taken command of many vessels. No kidding. No kidding. Uh as I'm not an official spokesperson for this agency, I won't identify it. But when this has occurred, it probably wasn't under the Posse Comitatus statute, but a variety of reasons. I've boarded vessels under the authority of the officer in charge of the unit and taken over the operation of boats on many occasions. So he has some reasons. Though, so reasons have been when the boat has broken loose or the operator's been placed under arrest for DUI, oh, um, which I hope everybody knows you can't drive a boat. It's the same thing as driving a car if you're under the influence of anything um, or other criminal charges. And he said sometimes the weather has turned nasty and the operator can no longer function uh, in the appropriate mental state. So somebody panics when Understood. the water's rough. Super seasick. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point, too. That could happen. These situations, of course, uh, the object is to safely return the boat and its occupants to a nearby marina and not in the heat of a pursuit. But nonetheless, it was commandeered and under the power of authority. And he said, maybe this isn't the feedback you were looking for exactly, but you can see another reason or two this can occur. No, Tim, that's exactly what we were looking yeah, for. Yeah, that's I was awesome. Trying to, trying to find out if it ever happens, because we, here in the city of Atlanta, we never hear of a boat being commandeered. We don't have too many boat commandeering uh, <laughs> No, I mean, we have, to go, we have to drive a long way just to find any water. Yeah, yeah, it's fair, fair enough. Uh, the Chattahoochee is just not the hotbed of boat crime. No, it was. no, no. They, they like to do those, uh, rowing competitions out there, but that's about it. And then, uh, for any kind of true boating, like actual boating, you have to go up to Lake Lanier. Would probably be the closest. I think yeah. that is Maybe the Jackson. Maybe Lake Alatoona. Yeah. But, uh, we really appreciate this because that's something that we talked a little bit about after, after the, uh, commandeering podcast, um, which if you haven't listened to, check it out. And while you're checking stuff out, uh, we hope that you have enjoyed our RC aircraft introduction. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter, where we post uh, what we think is interesting car news all the time. We also have our very own totally legit website, carstuffshow.com. You can see, uh, you can, little known fact, you guys, we've done a couple videos, and you can check them out there, too. Yeah, videos, we've got, uh, boy, and how many podcasts do we have now? I don't even know. Oh, man. We're well beyond what iTunes allows, so if you go to carstuffshow.com, uh, you can find all of them going all the way back to the beginning, the entire library. Oh, yeah, and be kind on those early ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remember we were, we were uh, just youngsters at the time. Yeah, we were. <laughs> wow, we were. That's the weirdest part. But... Also, if you would like to have uh, your email read on the air, or if you have a suggestion for an upcoming show, especially if you have experience with RC aircraft and would like to give us some more information. Yeah, clearly, we don't. And we, uh, <laughs> but we've been trying to cover everything here, so I uh, would love to hear from some, from some pros. Yeah, and uh, the best way for us to get contacted, again, uh, Facebook and Twitter aren't cutting it for you. You can always send us an email directly. We are carstuff at discovery.com. 
For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at Viking.com. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.